make me feel so young. You make me feel like spring has sprung. Like the way he's speaking, his confidence is peaking. Don't like his baggy jeans, but I'ma like what's underneath them. And Love is a episode because they do a finals thing in the series finale but the last real competition um episode of the series really um we're doing nationals and or it's actually city of angels um and i have some really great guests lined up tonight so i'll let them introduce my oh gosh and let, but i'll let them introduce me so they can no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> i will let them introduce themselves so go ahead guys so this is Space Orphan, and I am uh, Caro Jane. <laughs> I'm I'm Carly, also known as Caro Jane, on um, Tumblr and uh, Archive and other places. And hi, I'm uh, Connie, and I'm Sleep the Fried Flying on Tumblr. Oh, welcome back, guys. Um, so yeah, we we've hit this part of season five where. It's weirdly, it's in the middle, and yet we have all of these endings. And especially as we come into the two-parter 100th episode celebration, the next couple episodes. But this kind of ends the, I guess, first half of the season five stuff, which kind of ends the stuff from season four, kind of ends the show as we know it. Um, so a lot of endings wrapped up in these couple of episodes. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the, the whole main focus is City of, or, uh, is Nationals, and, um, we open, I'm actually going to do, talk about, um, I want to talk about Sam first, sorry, I'm switching things up just a little bit, um, because the, the episode kind of opens with Will giving this pep talk to Sam, about being a leader, and I'm kind of curious as to what you guys, what your thoughts on this is. Well, I think in a way he was with Blaine. Blaine is like the the de facto. Well, he was named the new Rachel, and he always like took that as meaning like I'm the leader of the Glee Club, 
And he really, uh, like, took Salmon as being, like, kind of co-leaders. I feel, like, under Finn, and then especially when um, Will went crazy and Mm -hmm. uh, with Feud and uh, Boys and Girls on film and in uh, uh, Dreams and, like, that whole arc, like, Salmon and Blaine together were really, like, holding the the Glee Club together mm-hmm. because Will was going crazy and uh, Finn left. So I think in a way, like, Sam was part of the leaders and, and the new kids did look up to him. I, I think Will was very not fair to him in this kind of putting all this pressure and and we see it at the end of the episode with Sam like crying after they performed. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But I, and I also think that Will was unfair towards Blaine and not acknowledging that, Hey, you're, you've like done so much for us this year. And like, you really were a leader as well. And so, yeah, it was unfair. Like, especially comparing making the comparison to Finn to Sam saying that you are the next Finn. Finn chose you as this, like his, uh, like replace, not replacement, but his, uh, you know, the, to be the next Finn, the next quarterback, like that, that was a lot of pressure and not fair of, of will to do. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do think that he was a good leader throughout the whole four or five season. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to build off of what Carly said, um, in the scene between when, the beginning when uh, Will and Sam are talking, I find it really ironic that he, one of the lines that she, uh, Will said was, you don't have to prove anything to me. Well, that's kind of ironic because like Carly was just saying, he, just by saying that, I feel like he's putting a much more pressure on him just by saying that that you don't have to prove anything to me. Mm-hmm. So I I just thought that line was very ironic, and I think Sam is putting a lot of pressure on himself just yeah. just regardless of what Will says. So um, it is unfair, and I think he feels a lot of it, and you could see that later on in the episode in various points too. Yeah, I I don't want to discredit Sam in that yes I agree I agree that he definitely did a lot of stuff with Blaine but I think that Sam as a character to me always resonates as somebody who is going to be a great number two um like a you know I'm gonna pitch in and I'm gonna do what I can to like help you know, rally the troops and stand by the person I'm going to be standing by, which is usually Blaine. But I think that it is misguided and unfortunate that Will, like, takes him aside, seems to have no recognition of that this Glee Club has been basically led by Blaine for Mm -hmm. most of season Mm -hmm. four and five. And, you know, when it's not been run by Finn, and says, you know, you are the most Finn-like to me, therefore you automatically get this position that I want to bestow on somebody. And, you know, it's like, it's not any kind of judgment on Sam because I think Sam 
does what he can and and does a great job through this episode and does put two and he just you know internalizes all of it but i just mm-hmm. will i don't know why the show and the writers you know they have this opportunity to show blaine as you know as a, a queer character as a person of color you know in this leadership role and then they're like oh wait a minute you know, let's not really acknowledge that. Let's go get our Finn double and, like, make him leader and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know why they decided to do that, I guess. So. Yeah, and you know, how how much was Finn a leader, like, pre-season four? Like, when he was actually a member of the, the show choir. He was kind of, like, a re- reluctant, like... Uh, he was the male lead, but he wasn't like he did. He was very like he didn't step up as as often as like the showrunners want to like paint that narrative. Mm-hmm. I think or oh, Will yeah. wants to paint that narrative. Yeah, let's you know, and it's kind of a this episode is very much another tribute to Finn in the way the quarterback was. Um, uh-huh. But at the same time, I think that they're rewriting history a little bit. And I don't... Yeah. I understand why they're doing it. I mean, you do want to... I think it is nice to leave Finn in with us good legacy. And I do think that the last season, last season four, um, really painted Finn in a great light. And he was doing some great things. And it is tragic, everything that happened with him. But, you know, sometimes, you know, history will clean up... Um, what may be, what may have been messier in reality. Yeah. I, I did appreciate this episode and kind of being a tribute to Finn. Um, and not like the whole episode being all about Finn. Mm-hmm. Just like, it, it was a, it's a nice low key tribute. And yeah. the fact that like, this is pretty much one of the only, up, uh, one of the only like, times that Finn is kind of well we see that other characters other than Rachel thinking about Finn's impact on their lives and uh well Rachel and like I guess the the main four like Will Rachel and uh Puck and um and Kurt they they got a lot about Finn but like Finn was the the leader of the the glee club in season four apart from those four like he was mm-hmm. he was a big part of like the the newbies lives and the those four um season four seniors yeah. um in a way that they weren't the other people and that doesn't get acknowledged very often and mm-hmm. and it, it's nice kind of tribute to that i wish that the um the newbies kind of got a little more say in talking about like what how Finn was more of their leader than than Shu was because like he's the one that brought them in and like led the the group when Shu kind of abandoned them back mm-hmm. at the beginning of the the school year and like um mm-hmm. but I thought it was a, a it's an it's a nice tribute episode. Like I was saying uh, to Pam before, that um, this isn't very like 
well well liked episode like i mean it's not hated but it's not a on anybody's like top 10 list but mm-hmm. it's it's a really good episode in in the end it's it's under undervalued or underestimated i guess mm-hmm. i agree and uh, as far as the trivia to fin is concerned i to when I recall this episode aired. I think this episode kind of stuck under the radar in terms of we've had this big tribute episode in the quarterback, but so nobody saw, you know, how much of an impact, you know, the, the that storyline would be in this episode. And when we got Burton Carroll and when we got the montage and everything, it just kind of snuck up on us. We were like, wow, I think it was a good tie-in the quarterback but it wasn't very well it wasn't as publicized as the other one was but uh, I think it it fed well within this episode arc I think um, let's see in terms of in terms of Sam I, I don't know if, if hindsight is 2020 or if we get looking in the bigger picture of this episode or this arc or the well, this episode in particular, in relationship to the very end of the series, when Sam does come back and take over the Glee Club at the end, that felt a little bit more... That... When we got it at the very end, that felt a little bit more natural to me, because we have an arc from here, and Sam also has an arc going on moving forward, so we have all that stuff. This felt a little bit... um, like, like she was, like I said, she was trying to force it on him and, or put him in position when he wasn't really sure what his position was, I guess his place was. So, uh, but I, so I guess looking, for me, looking in the bigger context of the larger arc, it makes more sense, but, um, well, for this particular... Oh, I was just going to agree with you, Connie, that you make a really great point that I didn't, I never really thought of in that they are going to have Sam come back and eventually teach Glee Club. And I wonder if um, this scene in this particular episode is kind of a, uh, a nudge in that direction and that maybe because we don't know where the story is going, that it does feel awkward um, in a, in its presentation, um, yeah. because yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Sam is gonna come back and teach um, at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, with with so many characters, Sam kind of got like the the raw end of the stick for like character character development through plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I think like one of the the narratives of of Sam's character is that he like underestimates himself and that he puts himself like he's such a supportive person and um he puts himself into that role of the sidekick of the the second in command but like other people see a lot more out of him and if he's pushed he can become that leader that that Shu obviously sees in him and here and then like later at the end of season six when he actually takes over the Glee Club and everybody's like surprised, but like mm-hmm. 
he has it in him. Yeah. And maybe maybe she sees it where other people are not seeing it. So maybe maybe good jobs, Chu. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I kind of give him that much credit, but I will yeah. say I, I like I said, it would you know, talking about this particular scene and this whole plot of making Sam um a leader, I don't I don't doubt or um belittle Sam's role in anything. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great guy and, and will do great mm-hmm. in the future. I just it kind of feels a little shallow, this opening scene, especially it, when Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, and mm-hmm. and as Blaine fans, it's really frustrating because of all the the work that Blaine did for the yeah. the Glee Club that never gets like really acknowledged. Acknowledged, yeah, I shoot, yeah. Um, yeah. so kind of moving in another direction, let's talk about Bert and Carol and their return to the episode. Or to, I mean, I mean, I guess they didn't really go anywhere, but like, I think this is the first time we see Carol since the quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. And I and Bert though I think this is his first time since back I don't I think yeah so. I think yeah. so I think it is you know it's it's mm-hmm. so weird seeing it's Rami right that's her name yeah the actress yeah it's Rami Robinson. weird seeing her in other other um, like roles mm-hmm. this is kind of a tangent but like she always kind of plays kind of a mean person in other other things <laughs> it's so like. I Contrary also, to know, how I, I know her as Carol, she always plays like sort of like a, a ruthless businesswoman. And <laughs> yeah, I think when they first introduced Carol in the pilot, I think she was supposed to be kind of this pathetic woman. And yeah. it's really nice that her character, I mean, she doesn't get a lot of screen time in the series, but her character has really grown and developed. And, and neither she or Bert are going to be the, you know, epitome of intelligence or whatnot, but they both kind of become this beacon of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that I personally think they laid on a little too thick here, but I find that it's warranted given the circumstances. Yeah, it, it is. Like when, always when you're talking, like in, in real life, when you're talking about like, in memory of somebody, it kind of becomes platitudes and a little corny and sappy and stuff. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I, it is a little thick, but I think it's like. <laughs> but I think it's fine, and I, I yeah, it's in the in the situation, it's good. Um, yeah. I think like fandom Car- Carol versus uh, actual Glee Carol is. I mean, it's very character, caricature. I can't say that word. Caricature. Um, yeah. Yeah. In in fandom, she's it's Carol has become a like entity of her own in fandom, um, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, very colors a lot of the way people like see her, her character in the show too. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but... <laughs> well, I will say a couple of things that stand out to me about um, the Bert and Carol stuff in this episode. Um, first of all, just a, a couple of small moments. Um, I like when they show up 
and Blaine is the first one to like give them mm-hmm. hugs and whatever. And it it's very nice to like acknowledge the Kurt aspect of it without Kurt actually being there. Um, yeah. But it shows the the more familial connection between mm-hmm. Blaine and his future, you know, in-laws. Oh yeah, I think this is the first time we've seen uh, Blaine interacting with Carol. Is it right? Or um, yeah, or. I, you know, I honestly, I, you might be right. I maybe in some like background stuff. But yeah, like, I'm trying to yeah. think, but I'd have to look up her, her. Um, well, let's see if I can find um, her uh, appearances because I'd have to look at her list of appearances. But I, I do think this, this is the most Carol really interacts with any of them really outside of Finn. Mm-hmm. And outside of Kurt mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and Rachel, um, but um, yeah, it is. Well, since, the, oh, well, since, well, the, since their wedding, I guess in season two, I think. I mean, but that was a different set of. That's a totally different set students. of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my point to to fandom uh, Carol versus uh, show Carol is that like. Phantom Carol, she's the mom to everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> I still think that Canon Carol kind of is in some ways. Um, I because you know she's helping with the sewing in this particular episode and and whatnot. I I do. I, I'm just looking at the Lizzie. The only time that Blaine would have interacted with her is the. Um, on my way when Kurt, not Kurt, when Finn and Rachel are getting married. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. But that's about it. But, um, yeah. So. But um, the the uh, other small thing is um, when they're in the hotel room getting ready and whatnot, and, and Bert is helping Sam tie his tie, and Sam's like, how do you know how to do this? And Bert's like, well, have you met my son? I just thought that was <laughs> a nice, nice touch. Yeah, that was cute. Um, but, you know... With kind of going up in a different direction, that they they have so many of these speeches and so many of like you know let's just win this for us and you know Ben will be proud of you and et cetera et cetera. We get this really really honest moment in the hotel room with Tina when Tina is like, oh my life's gonna be like over once you know nationals is done. What am I supposed to do now that I you know when I'm growing up? And Carol says, you know at least you get to live. Mm-hmm. And it's this very hard and very honest moment. And that's, you know, and then we get our only scene of the series when Bert and Carol are alone together in that, you know, Bert says, look, do you, can you do this? And Carol's like, I'm still not, you know, things are going to change. And, you know, all of his friends are going to go off and do other things. And I will only have this memory and it's fading. And I think that's such a, real and sad thing to say that I'm glad they, they were able to have that moment. Right. I, think was, okay. I think I think it was good to include because you could really see that, you know, the grieving process still being, you know, grieving is a process and it's different for everybody. You know, it can, you know, it's not, there's no uniform way to grieve. And I think it's great that they showed that because like you said it was a real moment it was a raw moment and it showed her still struggling with no matter how long it is until you know since the you know his death that every little reminder of things anything could bring up his 
you know, bring up his memory that he's no longer there with him. And like what Tina said with with uh, with you know them being their last uh, nationals and things like that. I think it was a really like you said, really honest and really real moment to put in there. I'm really glad they put it in there because then they showed you don't really quit uh, missing somebody or grieving somebody. It just you have to learn to to live with it mm-hmm. in some way. Yep. So I'm glad they yeah, put that. Yeah, especially for a mom. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and she said, uh, you know, I thought being around his friends, even though I think I argue that a lot of these people aren't necessarily the <laughs> friends he was hanging out with. Um, but being around his friends again, she thought maybe I could, she could recapture, you know, and hold on to that memory. And instead, it's making things worse. And it's just, you know, life goes on. I, I and we're not going to stop grieving. We're not going to stop, you know always having that person that passed away in our hearts, but time does march on. And the reality of that is it can be very hard. And so, especially seeing like for a young, a young person who dies, seeing somebody like in the same stage in their life, like going through milestones that, uh, that person may miss. And, like, Mm -hmm. realizing that person is never going to do this or that or that. And seeing, like, people, like, at his same stage, like, be excited about the future or sad about the future, you know, Mm. when he he doesn't have a future. And, like, you know, I I love Tina and I feel really bad for her that, like, that she feels so guilty. For, like, you know, hurting Carol, even though it's, like, you're just hurting her by, like, being in your time of life and, like, just being a reminder of that. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's not your fault. And, right. and I, I, I love that Blaine later goes, like, you can't help it, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, one of my favorite lines. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't think Tina, you know, Tina goes off and... You know, in the last few episodes, it's been a lot of, like, Tina coming to grips with moving on and her time of high school's ending and things are changing. And there is a time when, you know, when you're younger, at least this is my experience, and and more so when I got out of college and high school, but, you know, it's kind of like you're not young anymore and, like, you pass all of these milestones that you see growing up in television and you get a sense of, like, okay, well, now what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah. I can see Tina kind of, I don't think she's out of line for having this, like, oh, well, now what am I going to live for moment? So Yeah. Especially when you actually have a good uh, high school experience. Like, she, she had, like, good friends, and she had a great glee club, and, like, Mm-hmm. It's it's hard when it it ends, uh, especially like we we don't know the context until like is it next episode or the episode later that she hasn't been accepted to any mm-hmm. colleges or the, I think it, yeah like, I think it was the next episode yeah it's New Directions yeah it's it's, it's like yeah. half of the, the two parter which is yeah. ridiculous at yeah. that point mm-hmm. of the year but like Still. especially mm-hmm. for like the Val valedictorian or salutatorian whatever she is mm-hmm. yeah. um 
so um kind of moving from Bert and Carol um we can kind of save the their ending bit after we talk about the national section of it but um mm. let's they move uh, we, we get we get this montage of them going to LA which I think is super cute um it is especially when you you I remember the the behind the scenes stuff because everything was all like be a tourist in your own town because like mm-hmm. they don't live in LA so yeah, I know yeah <laughs> decker tourist bus yeah mm-hmm. but um so it was it, it's just a fun little montage I, I think yeah. that there's a lot of it doesn't have the grandiose pressure that the New York like going to New York was going to New York, and now that like going to LA is fun. It's just yeah. You know, so I think it's interesting in the song, um, in the like, you know, theatery part, uh, beginning of the song. They they say, uh, don't want to go to New York and don't want to go to Chicago, and those are where the Nationals were in the last two. Like, I thought that's right. that was fun. Hey, that's that, really yeah. ironic. I didn't realize that until you said that. I'm sure that's wow. one more reason why they picked the song, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's good. You know, and it's kind of fun. And Yeah. I liked it. So. Um, all right, so let's talk about Mercedes, who hasn't Yay! done much in season five. But it's it's delightful to see her, even with her faux chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> I love her chihuahua. Uh-huh. Me too. Um, the first... I'm a chihuahua, like, aficionado, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's At first, I I didn't realize whether that was a real chihuahua or, <laughs> or a stuffed chihuahua until she said it was a full one. <laughs> it's a very um, L.A. thing. Huh? I think it's funny that, this cracks me up, she... When she gets there and every and she's like I wouldn't miss this and everybody is all excited to see her and the reaction between Will and Mercedes is hilarious because she's like oh Will and he's like oh yeah Mercedes whatever and yeah goes on yeah. like it's yeah. so dismissive I don't know if it was done intentionally mm-hmm. um but it, I mean plot wise he was in in the middle of being told he was like a a terrorist. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Criminal, so. Well, Sue was after her shenanigans he, again. So. He was, like, he was distracted, but yeah, yeah. He, Will mm. is not always a great uh, Mercedes fan, or no. not fan, but, like, su- like good supporter. Yeah. Like a teacher should be. <laughs> and I wonder if that, yeah, that's why I wondered if it was intentional. Um, as a side, yeah, there... Will, nothing really comes of it, but Will, Sue calls in a tip that Will is a terrorist and should be investigated by the FBI. So that is what he's mm-hmm. dealing with for a half second. Mm-hmm. But. Who, who stole a bus full of uh, mentally unstable kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, now, Mercedes has kind of gotten a break, and this is kind of an interesting thing to, to talk about. Basically, she was in the parking lot of a Walmart or something, selling her album um, that she... Mm-hmm. I want to know how... I'm curious to know what kind of album, what it sounds like. Did she just do it, record it at home, or what was going on? Um, but it was picked up by the Mexican housekeeper of Kanye mm-hmm. West, who gave it to Kim Kardashian, who gave it to Ryan Seacrest, 
who somehow managed to get her a record label. Mm-hmm. That's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did, when I was hearing all that, when I was hearing whatever, whatever she, how she was relating this, I'm like, okay, you dropped three different names, <laughs> high-profile names within one piece of dialogue. That I found that really amusing. Kanye. Well, I'm surprised Kanye. it wasn't the other way around. I mean, wouldn't Kanye be a better, like, how is Ryan Seacrest going to get her an album? Maybe with his my American Idol connections, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> the only one that's an actual musician yeah. was Kanye in that little scenario, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and music producer and everything. <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay. I also think it's hilarious that she is she is then in like this board of like all of these producers and is demanding things, mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of funny because like. In reality, that like if you're a first time artist like that, you probably aren't gonna be the one making all the demands. Um, no, no. But... And but, like, how much is this true, and how much is this like Mercedes, like, exactly telling telling yeah. her story? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be embellished a bit. Yeah, we, we want it to be true because Mercedes deserves it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is definitely going to when we when. Um, we talk about 100, it's going to kind of come play against Rachel getting Fanny. Yeah. Um, I think this is a, I think this is a good setup for that because then you'll see them take it to another level in the next episode or, or the, it started, it's the start of the, her kind of subplot with Rachel. Yeah. Because she's acting like a diva in her own way. <laughs> I oh. also found it funny. She said, she mentions, and this is the fourth wall break, she men- mentions that she doesn't want to have to do a Christmas CD, the obligatory Christmas CD. Yeah. Um, which makes me think that the Christmas episode, especially in this particular season, was very much mandated by the higher-ups. They said, you're going to do this and you're going to put out another album because you have to. Um, yeah. So that's my two cents. Um, was the room that Mercedes had the board meeting, it, it looks like exactly the same set as the room that um, Rachel did her uh, audition, audition in yeah. her L.A. audition. Probably. Well, not the same set, but like the same se- kind of setup. Like, Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was probably. It, it just... It seemed familiar when I was like rewatching it. I was like, mm-hmm. well, it looks like the room that. <laughs> it does, yeah. It really does. Yeah. So. So yeah. the reason Mercedes is mostly in this episode actually has to tie in with the wrapping up of the Jake and Marley and Ryder story. Um, and I kind of want to move to that. The. You know, I haven't seen. I. I watched most of this episode and I watched these scenes because I hadn't seen them in ages mm-hmm. and I think there's some interesting things to to go on here first of all like Marley has a conversation with Jake in which Jake finally says well you know I'm gonna stop forcing you to try and date me which is like oh my god <laughs> like <laughs> come on um and Marley says you know she sent her music into all of these competitions and they're not getting any recognition and I'm mm-hmm. like honey you're 15 you've got so much time like <laughs> And don't yeah. I 
before we get too much into Marley, I just want to say as a side note, there, I feel like, is this pressure to be this, like, self-made millionaire by 25 or you haven't made it in the world. And, like, stuff like this kind of pushes to that. And I'm kind of like... Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's frustrating. But I also, like, Marley is in poverty. Like, yeah. she's the daughter of a, um, a blue-collar uh, single mother in, like, Rust Belt. And she's, like, yeah. <laughs> she's she's poor, and, like, the, the message is, like, basically... Like, she she wants to succeed. She wants to, like, better her life. That's that's how she's been pushed by her mom. And uh, in a lot of those cases, like, the idea is that... I don't know. It, um, don't, don't make stupid choices <laughs> because you want to succeed. So, like... Following a, a dream is is not a smart choice when like you can be in the accounting club instead. So like I kind of see it that way that like all those all those people who say like uh, all those people who are now saying that like liberal arts education is not worth the money and like are people who are thinking of it in a practical that you have to get a job, you have to make everything worth the, the effort. And it's like, um, a lot of the times following your passion, especially when it's in arts, like in those kind of terms is not worth the effort, mm-hmm. even though like it's your passion and you enjoy it and you enjoy making music and like you may be successful but in smaller ways, but you may not like be able to live off of it. I and think going along with what you're saying, Carly, something that I've always been, and I didn't really realize until I started doing this podcast, and it's something I'm going to give a shout out to um, RB, uh, C. Kerouac. Um, you can have the arts in your life and it be non performing or it be in another you know, in a smaller role. Like, you can do community theater. You can write jingles for commercials. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean (laughs) that you are not successful. Um, It just means you're successful in a different way. Not everyone Mm -hmm. is going to be Barbara Streisand. In fact, most people are not Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't hurt to keep trying to be Barbara Streisand. But, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with being an accountant and having a a small garage band on the side either. So. It just depends on what you want to do with it. And I think the mindset is out there. That's that's the reason why, like, so many, like, arts programs get cut and everything is that they're, they're not it's, – it's putting money into something that's not, like, doesn't give you a, a strong enough ROI, yeah. return on investment, like – yeah. But so thing, so th- and, and that gives the message that it's it's not important enough that you have to focus on what's gonna like actually set you up to to make money to yeah and and it's true it's like why can't we show that like 
you can do this. You can enjoy it and not be come the next. Well, I think uh, there and Beyonce or again to go off of your point, Carly. I think that there is this exclusivity between like art and science when mm. it shouldn't be that way. Because if you were taken an art class and you learned to kind of see the world through somebody else's eyes or through a different perspective, then you can go take that and go and look at your science project and say, oh, wait a minute, I've never seen, you know, what about this over here? What if we try looking at the telescope like this way and boom, you've discovered like a planet where aliens live. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's very important. Like, that hasn't really been explored. I think that is like something the Glee creators agree with, but like they're they're not really good at showing no. that. They they no. really like split, especially like oh. arts and sports. They can't mm. coexist, yeah. even though like okay, choose uh, Glee club. The the first class, every single one of them was on the football team at one point. Yeah. Even the girls. <laughs> and the first thing he does when he creates the, the music school is cut the football team. Yeah. That his good yeah. friend is the, the coach of. And, like, you, I mean, you, so it's just reinforcing that, like, you, you have to be this or that. Like, and football sets you up for success for some reason, whereas ours doesn't, even yeah. though, like... You know, it kind of goes to this, as much as I love Glee and as much as I think there was a ton of progressive stuff in it, it still sometimes maintains these 1980s version of how stories are supposed to go. And I realize a part of that is nostalgia on the Glee writer's part. But at the same time, I feel like, and this kind of goes to Sam too, being the person that's supposed to lead. Sometimes Glee didn't really the writers were a little too stuck in there. This is how it was when I was a teenager. And, well, um, it's the, oh. these creators were like they. You can see it completely, like that they were inspired by John Hughes movies. Yeah, yeah. Connie, and they're following oh, that kind of like format of John Hughes and other other uh, high school kind of formulaic m- movies that came out in the eighties. And the 90s that were inspired by, like, John Hughes. Mm-hmm. That, that like, maintained those those ideologies. And, mm-hmm. like, the, they want to be subversive and, like, oh, Glee Club is cool. But they're not really subversive because they uphold those kind of the splits. Mm-hmm. I think it's a reflection of, I mean, the message was a reflection of what was going on to society at that time. I mean, it's still going on right now. I mean, that, that I mean, the administration that we're in is threatening to cut arts, you know, and everything. And back then, even a couple of years ago, it was in that age where, I mean, currently STEM is, you know, the STEM is being emphasized, which is great. And But I think that the creators felt uh, there was that, there was a need to advocate for arts and music, and I think, you know, what was happening on, on in education, you know, in real life, and what was going on at the time. And I so I think the show was their kind of answer to that and seeing how important it was. 
I agree that it it took a it's it's not that black and white is they you know they advocate I right. think but I think they were doing that to kind of to emphasize a point mm-hmm. or something so but I think in that way it's not that cut it's not that cut and dry is you know his perceived on the show but it's their interpretation I think um I think like you guys uh, both of you said there could be a balance between the two it can't you know it doesn't have to be all one thing or all the other the two can coexist and things are all everything you know sports are not bad you know sports are not detrimental arts you know and the arts is not detrimental to sports they can both coexist in them and playing where they have equal footing so, um, I mean, today you're still getting into this cut, you know, mm-hmm. and you still have shows like R- this new show Rise and stuff. They're, they're still emphasizing that point. So you're still getting this uh, conversation back and forth. But, yeah, I think Lee was the answer to that. Because you see in the, the, the I mean, this particularly not on this this particular episode, but in the episodes following that, um, you know, when they were talking about you know when Sue is talking about cutting it, cutting the glue cover to make uh, to make room for computer classrooms or something like that. Right. You yeah, know, you see episode, that. Yeah. yeah. So you see kind of the ramifications of that, and mm-hmm. then. Yeah, and I uh, mean, like, why why does uh, Marley have to quit Glee Club? Well, I mean, it's not going to exist anymore, but but she didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but why would she have to kick? Quick Glee Club to to join accounting club. She yeah. should be totally encouraged to join accounting club if like if she feels like that's that's something she wants to do mm-hmm. and do Glee Club. Like yeah, like you can pursue multiple multiple um, passions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, I'm in STEM. I am a software engineer. I like and. You could tell the people that like are more artistic, and they're they're they they kind of offer more to the the science and to the to to engineering if they're a little artistic, if they have a liberal arts background. Like mm-hmm. they they think differently than people who are just like straight looking at technology and straight looking at like the science side of it. Like, mm-hmm. You need you need both kinds of people but you like the people who are have diverse interests are very valuable mm-hmm. okay so kind of moving it a little bit long sorry guys i have about an hour sorry that was huge <laughs> that's okay. well it's okay that's it okay. actually touches upon a lot of the stuff that happens at the end so yeah <laughs> um but uh you know we get back to the jake and marley stuff and and Ryder stuff we get um Marley says, please don't tell anybody. I think it's hilarious that Jake, or sorry, that uh, Ryder goes straight to Jake and is like, hey, we have to do something about Marley. Um, mm-hmm. I guess they kind of repair their friendship. I, I don't know. Um, but Yeah, uh, who cares? Yeah. But, <laughs> but, yeah, so they, they decide that it is a little awkward and that they're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we should not both like, or maybe we should let Marley decide. And it's like, kind of, yeah, you guys should have done that ages ago. You know? Yeah. Um, but and they, you know what? It's really interesting when Marley actually gets storylines that are not about Jake and Ryder or not mm-hmm. about boys. Like when yeah. she has storylines that are about 
her. She's an interesting character. Or when they're about her and her friendship with with uh, Unique. Yeah. Or or even when she they're about her and her friendship question mark with Kitty. Like yeah. those are or, more interesting than like just about the boys because yeah. like we don't care about you, Jake or Ryder. I'm sorry, especially Ryder. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> And it's it's really I mean and when she had that storyline and trying to you know encourage Finn you know when he yeah. was at his low point to try to you know encourage him to go to teaching I mean that was really a great role you know for her to have in another episode but yeah yeah and then the episode Swan Song I I love that episode where she was like you know I I like ruined it for everybody but she and Finn were. Like together, trying to figure out desperately, trying to figure out how to get the the um, Glee Club back. And she, mm-hmm. like, she's an interesting character if she's like gets interesting things well, to so, do. To go off of that, I will say, you know, so Jake and Ryder's solution is to go get um, go get Mercedes. Mercedes. And Mercedes and Marley's conversation in this episode, I really enjoy because... Mar- yeah, it's amazing. Mercedes basically says, look, you know, um, I have been told most of my life that I couldn't go anywhere and now I've succeeded and I believe in you too. And it's this great pep talk. And, and the ending button is that, you know, because Marley's like, how did you find this out? And Mercedes says... Two little birdies told me, but you know what? Just because these guys are good or were nice about something does not mean that you owe either of them, like, a relationship. And that's my yeah, favorite that was, part. that was awesome. Yeah. Awesome part. Yeah. That was great. I'm glad. So, it, and I, I loved her little thing. Like, I've, I've been, you know, overlooked by Rachel and, like, uh, turned down here and there and I got dumped by Sam twice. Wait, no. <laughs> I dumped him twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. I like that even though the movies kind of got the short end of the stick with wrapping up in the next couple episodes, and even though Jake and Ryder's stories are a little open ended, I'm glad that Marley's story ended on a positive note for her. And going forward, like, we don't really know what happens to Marley. She's the only one of the only ones that don't come back for the finale, series finale. But I feel like going forward, she has a very optimistic future in front of her. So. It's funny how they come up with the names of these show choir rivals, like Throat Explosion. <laughs> Explosion, and I forgot, I even forgot the other the Amazonians. Amazonians? Yeah. Oral intensity is my favorite. Yeah, that was fun. That's a classic one. Well, um, the other scene I really, really love in this episode is where they're in the auditorium. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it has one of my favorite lines. Well, a couple of my favorite lines. First of all, they say, you know, Artie's like freaking out because they're there, like alone in the dark. And Glaine says it's like show choir tradition, and this is one of the traditions warblers used to do, and he can't talk about the other traditions that <laughs> yeah. the warblers used to do. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love how, like, uh, 
the warblers is kind of like the mafia. Yeah. When he talks about it, like the the traditions and once a warbler, always a warbler and like mm-hmm. like they have a fight club and yeah. Dalton in, in general is like a not a cult, but like a secret secret, secret organization. Yeah, like a mm. skull and bones kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> My favorite line, though, is when Blaine mm-hmm. is like, are you alone? And then he's like, existentially, Blaine, we are all alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm but that. no. Yeah. Oh, man. That is yeah. That's an interesting question, Blaine, existentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did like, I, uh, I did like um, Jean-Baptiste. I, I wish. Like he he was a good like little villain and especially loved Blaine's reactions to him because he was so flustered yeah. every time like yeah. John Baptiste said something. He was like Gah! he got yeah. right under Blaine's skin. Yeah. He knew just how to how to kind of Because uh, everybody and... else is like, uh, show choir blogs, they don't matter and he was like, yeah. Yes, they do, and you are known. And it, we are truly enemies in the yeah. world. Like, yeah, he's a he's a like comic book kind of villain kind yeah. of character, and that's as we've seen in the last uh, season and a half. Blaine kind of has that like kind of probably commentary on his life in his head of like reframing things as comic book hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Well, I really like this scene because um, in this in the circle they get into how um, Sam, you know, we talk about how Sam has to step into this role as leader and, you know, has put upon him himself. I think this is the one of this is the this is the one time where I truly felt it was organic that he talked and he's, you know, he was talking to, you know, his fellow you know, members about how Finn, you know how Finn was still there and things, and I think that was the time for me. It really kind of felt like he took on the mantle of leader and actually showed it. Not, uh, it's hard. I can't put it in words, but that was one of the times when I truly felt in that episode that he took on the mantle of leader and he was genuine about it. And then, of course, of course, John Baptiste and. Thought he wasn't had to interrupt that moment, but mm-hmm. that, that was yeah. good. I do um, like there is this little subplot of somebody steals the Finn photo that they brought with them, yeah. and like there's this through line of how kind of like Sam is like, okay, guys, well, you know, I brought this for support, and then somebody steals it, and then Sam's like, you know what, let's go on. We can, you know. Finn is still here, and then afterwards, like, they are given it back by um, oh. John Baptiste, and I, I like Blaine is like, well, there's a bully with a moral code. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, as they say, it's like, oh, you're that show choir. Like, you've been through this yeah. tragedy. Um, and yeah, you can see he has respect, but he still yeah. has, like, he's still doing the mind games and stuff, but he's like, you guys, I, I understand. Like, I, I, I respect you. I'm still gonna kick yeah. your butt. Yep. Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed when he said the everybody. Know, he was pretty honest with them. Like they said, everybody knows that you're that show choir and you've been through a lot. And they, 
he really seemed to have respect for Finn and what you know they went through. So they just give him one night for something, and then they're gonna kick kick their butt. But I was pretty impressed when he actually stepped in and it did intervene when his his one of his underlings was saying, you know, some spirit animal or spirit guide or something, and he stepped in and said, "Nope, don't do that." So, mm-hmm. and that was impressive. <laughs> Okay, so um, I kind of there are three bigger set pieces I want to kind of get to. Um, the first is let's talk about nationals itself. Let's talk about these performances. Um, we've got the Amazonians going first, which I'm a little like. Well, we have to talk about the judges first. Oh, the judges. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, okay, Carly, what do you want to say about the judges? So you have Jack Kay, which is ironic because I just watched randomly Sister Sister this morning. <laughs> <laughs> And you have uh, uh, Marley Matlin, who's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I'm so glad they didn't, like, make any joke about, like, that she can't hear anything because she can totally judge a show choir performance based on show choir. And, like, um, I think and- it was a subtle joke, though. In, though I think they were trying to make that joke. They just did it very subtly. Yeah, they they didn't make a deal out of it, and like, it's it's more subversive than like mm-hmm. joking about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the prancer size woman, and Blaine's face, <laughs> yes, <laughs> when when she comes on to stage when she's announced, yeah. he just lights up like, oh yeah. my gosh, and okay. Do you guys know the prancer size? Because, like, I didn't mm-hmm. know it was a thing. Like, I thought I it was, like, either. they just made up this character. But apparently it was, like, a meme of some kind at the time. Wow. Well, that yeah. totally flew over my head. So that, that doesn't that surprise me. Said. Yeah. So. But, um, so, yeah. they and The nice thing is they have these judges, but we don't have a judges scene. And I think that the judges scene, with the exception of original song, I don't think the judges scene work um and so i'm okay yeah they kind of just like hey we have judges yeah they're just in the background they don't really oh she's she's actually like she's serious this this is not a character they created this this woman joanne joanna rohrbach back created this uh has a website has a like sells DVDs and everything about a fitness revolution called Prancer Sizing. Huh. And her her website has a picture of her running in a field with a horse. And oh <laughs> it's about self expression. It's about nonviolence. It's about conservation. Okay. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> okay, typical <laughs> Californian. <laughs> I I totally missed this back in like two thousand. 12 or 13 that this this came out this mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally 14, missed yeah. it back then but I, I guess yeah. like in certain internet areas it w- it became a sensation so oh, that sounds very Los Angeles to me yeah it does, <laughs> it does. <laughs> well right before the nationals right right before they take the stage I do want to mention that to get um Carol and Bert come back mm-hmm. and they, uh, you know, she was in the midst of giving them a pep talk when Carol and 
Bert come back and they were about to head out, but they came back to um, to, to watch it on the Woodward on Chuck Clark, and I thought what they had to say was very um, timely. So yeah, it's true. It's like don't try, go out there and kick ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Um. So, uh, first the Amazonians get us, and I'm a little, like, at first the third parties were kind of, like, this a jokey number, but mm-hmm. lately it's like they've given an actual song to the third parties, Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, like, we could be spending this time doing something else, but if you insist. Um, the third explosion one is, it's not technically a mashup, it drives me crazy that they even call it a mashup, because it's more like a medley um, yeah, they do yeah. Counting Stars, and then they do Mr. Roboto. Now, if they had tried to mash yeah. those up, that'd be kind of fascinating. I have no idea yeah. how they actually mash that up. But, um, um, yeah, I don't think Counting Stars is a very good, like, show choir kind of performance song. Yeah. When I, I saw it, oh, go ahead. Yes. when I saw it, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting choice, but I never really would have put that with the show choir song. I think but. it's more thematic in some ways. Um, uh-huh. because the song is kind of, you know, it's about counting stars, but kind of like, I have to look at the lyrics exactly, but I think it's, it's thematic. Um, oh, okay. Let me see if my computer will let uh, Of course, it. of course, most show choirs, uh, like the competition episodes don't actually have like songs you would consider show choir songs. Like I uh-huh. think the most show, show choir performance was in um uh the 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 last episode of season four that was like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The, like the most show choir kind of performance mm-hmm. well here, here's, and oh sorry go ahead sorry, usually like the performances are one person and and people behind them kind of like interrupt <laughs> Yeah. Or, or if it's the case of Rachel, just her on the stage. But like, mm-hmm. like for this, you have uh, Skylar Aston or Jean Baptiste. Like mm-hmm. he's the only singer other than like the the background vocals. That, but at yeah. least they're doing something. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, here here's the lyrics. Um, lately, I've been losing sleep, dreaming about the things that we could be. But baby, I've been I've been praying hard. Uh, said no more counting stars. We'll be counting stars. I see this life like a swinging vine. Swing my heart across the line. In my face is flashing signs. Seek it out and ye shall find. The old, but I'm not that old. Young, but I'm not that bold. And I don't think the world is sold. I'm just doing what we're told. I feel something so right. Doing the wrong thing. I feel some. I feel so wrong, but doing the right thing. I could lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Uh, I don't know. It just... I couldn't yeah. tell you without actually sitting and thinking about it for longer than two minutes, but I, I just feel like it fits the narrative and yeah. throat explosion and yeah. Yeah. Well, I really yeah. enjoyed their their Mr. Roboto oh, yeah. performance, That's... like with the mask and everything. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, weird choice of song, it was well, I think a good I'm performance. Do you remember when they to- said that vocal adrenaline were, were like robots? I always wondered if that was kind of a. Oh, that's a good point. That. I didn't realize that. So. That's, uh, yeah, that could be. That could be a reference. Huh? Um. So yeah. with new directions, though, um, 
they have their three th three songs, which when you first see the list, you're kind of like, what do these things, you know, what? But it's more yeah. than a feeling. America, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and they are Finn's favorite songs. And yeah, yeah. And those are also not really show choir-y songs. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a really cool tribute, and I love Carol's reaction. Like, yeah. When, when she realizes that, like, mm -hmm. these are his favorite songs. Yeah, she starts to tear. Oh boy, I think I lost. I think I, I think I shed a tear too when when that episode aired because just to see her tear up, tear up make me made me emotional too. So yeah. Well, it's nice. And I, you know, one of my problems, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, is a lot of times, especially with competitions, you usually have Rachel singing a solo and maybe a group number. And this set really kind of showcases everybody and everybody's doing something mm -hmm. on top of the layer of the, you know, memorial to Finn. Um, yeah. It's well, a really nice. The first thing. one is really a duet between Blaine and Tina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which um, I thought was which, really good. Yeah. Like, why doesn't Tina get more songs? Like, she's amazing singers. Like, this is proof. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad she finally got a chance to shine, but I regretted that it was this late into everything. So, um, and I I liked in the last song they they really like the um, four seniors mm -hmm. were brought in the front and kind of they showcased them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yep, and there's I liked the tribute to Finn at the end too. I mean the, they brought the yeah, um, drumsticks back on um, at the yeah. very end. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. that was a punch to, to the heart, too. Yeah, I wasn't, ex you know, nobody was expecting that. So. And, oh, gosh, and that montage of, of different two moments. Yeah, uh, that was... Yeah. Well, and just to go along with that song, still having thought, you know, just that, that whole montage with that in combination with that song really it was so was, sweet yeah and it was very poignant yeah um so kind of going to the next thing though that i that i wanted to hit upon was yeah they come in second and yeah. i remember fandom being very torn about this and i can kind of see both arguments Mm -hmm. But I will. I guess I'll let you guys. What were your thoughts about this? Them coming in second place. Well, first of all, Blaine stands there, and a piece of glitter falls smack dab in the middle of his forehead. I love that picture. Like, <laughs> I think there was a gift that was shared about it. Like he's been blessed by the stage gods or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I mean, it, it's really disappointing for, for them not to get nationals. I think like they, they really wanted it for like the honoring Finn aspect. But like I said, like, I don't, I don't think their, their songs were like showstopper kind of, um, uh, show choir kind of things that have won in the past mm -hmm. but I mean like Glee is very not 
not consistent and what wins anyways. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with them not winning. And I know it's a, a plot point for them closing down the, the, the show choir, which I think is a stupid plot point, but mm-hmm. the writers really wanted to go through with it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, for some reason, winning second place nationally out of like all these show choirs um, means you're you're not good enough to to have a small budget and and resources in in the high school. That that doesn't make any sense at all. But um, as for like just the team, if they they hadn't lost, like if they didn't have uh, Sue's threat of closing down the the Glee Club, which they have every other day, um, yeah. I'm I'm okay with them not winning first because they they won it the year before. And it, it meant a lot more that year. And yeah. I, I also like the the speech, like their disappointment um, in the choir room, and Carol coming in and saying, "You guys, you did win. Yeah. We got each other out of all of this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so cliche, yeah. but so wonderful. Well, Clichés exist for a reason." I'm with I'm with Carly. I'm okay with them coming in second, but the thing that bugs me is that we have this whole and I realize it's a plot point, you know, to move forward and close down this arc, but this whole through Sue threatening to shut down the Glee Club and his the whole back and forth with Mr. Shoe. At that point it just got really old for me because they they've gone to the that little too many times. Too many times. And I think, okay, here we go again. Is she really going to go through with it? You know, because we've always been on a precipice in the past, but we've never really gone through or something has happened for her to reverse the decision. So just to have that plot point, that aspect of it, I mean, that that grew very tiresome. Yeah, it's just boring. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and kind of going off of what you said and and the fam, fandom discourse of the time on the one hand had you given the new directions a chance to win nationals it would have validated these characters a bit more than what people you know the people who really liked the newbies wanted mm. and understandably so wanted to have these characters mean a little bit more you know than than having them just get second place and then thrown off the show mm-hmm. And I do understand where that's coming from. And in what you guys were saying about the plot points of them, um, the reason they came in second was a plot point because they needed to shut down the Glee Club. Um, At the same time, the show was ending. And I think that, I think there's something interesting there. Something Carol says and something Sue said, I think back in the quarterback, but um, in the choir room, Jake is like, well, this isn't how the story is supposed to end. And Carol yeah. says, no, you're right. It wasn't. This, this is the story. But this is the story that we got. And I, it goes yeah. back to, I think it's the quarterback when Sue was like, you know, she's talking to, when she's talking to Santana and is like, well, you know, sometimes things just end. 
Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. When, and then I think she talks, she talks with Will about it too. Like sometimes things just end. Like you know, um, it, I know that in this new conversation with Will, Sue will say, you know, like you tried your best, but sometimes you know, I my hands are tied and I can't do anything. Now, yeah, in reality, mm-hmm. it is ridiculous that if they come in second, they they don't get to be. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Yeah. But there is some honesty in that, you know, sometimes the stories don't have a happy ending. Sometimes yeah. you don't get an ending to it at all. And I think that's yeah. what it was kind of. So I'm not, I don't have a personal preference. I can see both sides of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm not firmly on like, oh, well, they should have done it this way. But I do think it's an interesting to explore the pros and cons of each way that it could have and did go. Yeah, I can see both sides to it. I think it's pointed out in the um, in the episode. Some uh, I think Carol says that you guys, like most of you, this was your first um, year in show choir at all, mm-hmm. and to make it to be number two, that's a big thing. Like, yeah, it is. You a lost biggest... like the majority of your like experienced show choir people all graduated in one year because for some reason the the um show decided to put them all in the same grade um but so uh so most of them like most of them the first year of of glee when Everybody was sophomores and uh, their first year, they only got, they didn't even win regionals. Right. Like, you know, that's as far as they got. They did awesome, like, and and tried their best. But, and then the next year, like, they made it to nationals and then Finn and Rachel made out and they got 12. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I like that Artie uh-huh. says that. He says, yeah. you know, this is much better than the nationals where we came in yeah. 12. You know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, and, yeah, we did touch quite a bit. I mean, because then, you know, they wrap up in the choir room. And, you know, and Bert and Carol, and Carol definitely with her, you know, you, you know, sure, Finn would have been upset a little bit. But at the same time, you guys did your best. And that is all anyone is ever going to, like, you know, ask of you. This is you know, you're not going to win every single time. It's just not possible. So you pick yourself up and you, you go back and do it again. Hello, Space Urban here. Um, unfortunately, the end of this podcast, due to technical difficulties, was cut short. Specifically, my um, internet decided to stop working today, or that day that we recorded. So um, thankfully, Carly and Connie actually continued the conversation a little bit without me. And wrote back to me um, as to what they were conversing about. So I will read what Carly said that they talked about a little bit. Um, She said, after losing you, Connie and I continued to chat about the episode. We both agreed that it was underappreciated and probably a victim to timing. The fandom was anxiously waiting the New York arc. And after a season and a half, just wanted McKinley's school year to be wrapped up. Especially as the fifth season had... A lot of crack or filler type episodes without really, really moving the plot forward. Plus, at this time, all of the marketing focus of the show was for the 100th episode, so it got skipped. Um, I, I do agree with that point. I think that this is a bit of an underrated episode. 
Um, and, you know, at the time, we really did want the show to kind of get on with it um, and move on. And because of that, any kind of, you know, celebration or tension with the Nationals episode kind of got swept under the rug uh, for that. So I do kind of agree with that assessment. Um, continuing, Car- Carly says, City of Angels was a rare episode that I didn't really have to have a scene or storyline that bugged the hell out of me. Not even, um, never been kissed can say that, which I love, but had that horrible piece storyline. Only the last scene of City of Angels felt wrong, but that was just because it felt thrown in for no other reason than to set up the next episode with Kurt, Santana, and Rachel going back to Lima. And that could have been thrown in at the beginning of the 100th episode. I do love to imagine Blaine calling Kurt to lament losing and the Glee Club getting shut down, though. Um, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I actually think it's a nice tag not only to um, bring back the New York crew who has been gone the whole episode, but kind of say, you know, we are moving this forward. It touches upon the Santana-Rachel feud, which is going to be a plot point, and um, kind of lets the viewers know that this isn't the end either. We're kind of going into the 100th episode, but um, plus I think it's kind of adorable how it's shot and um i don't know kurt racing in with the whole dramatic glee club is shutting down i think it's kind of cute but that's just my own personal preference and as always we're okay to disagree on this podcast um carly continues the ending of glee club was a bad plot point and unneeded except that maybe they needed to get all the alumni back to mckinley because there is no reason for glee that glee club cannot go on without the main cast we brought up the survey from TBD asking whether it would have been better to end Glee post-season 3 or continue on past season 6 with the new characters, Degrassi style. And I think it would have been great, but that's not the type of show Ryan Murphy created. Though he doesn't usually know what to do with his shows once they once he's created, he doesn't know what to do with the shows once they've been created to keep them going. So ending Glee Club as a plot point to move the show forward was stupid because you can have the show focus on something other than Glee Club in New York for example, and or have the Glee Club without the same characters every year. Um, Yes, I agree to a point um, that there could have been creative ways to keep the show going. I do think, though, that the writers never really knew what to do. Um, I mean, the New York arc was brilliant, as we will be getting into, but I think that they were more comfortable writing about a glee club in the choir room. And once they realized that they wanted to kind of end the show, their whole idea became wrapping up the glee club of, you know, the old kind of glee club stories, uh, especially centered around the 100th episode celebration, and then effectively end the show only to have this kind of coda to reopen and start afresh, but that's where our story ends. So I understand stylistically what they were going for, even though it feels strange and awkward. And I know that's a lot of stuff that we get into in our conversations with 100 and New Directions podcasts. So I will save that little bit of discussion for the future podcasts. Um, Finally, she writes... um, uh, that they also talked about how weird it was Joe and Sugar that weren't there. And it was never mentioned other than Sam saying that he found three Cheerios to come in. And it is that is a kind of a funny thing to mention because 
Glee is so hellbent on having 12 members in its club that to kind of have this random absence of characters who have been there for the last two years um, and just randomly throw three people in seems kind of awkward when you really sit down and think about it. Obviously, they really didn't want to pay these actors to come back is probably my biggest thing. Um, so they just decided to exclude them and not even worry about it. Um, but I do think it was kind of funny when you sit and think about these characters have been in and out, you know, for years now and they just dropped them as if they didn't exist. So it, it, it is, I guess it is what it is. So, um, so wrapping it up though, I want to say thank you to Carly and Connie for having this really wonderful conversation. Um, like I said earlier, it is an underappreciated episode. I do think it holds up pretty well. And it is a nice kind of send-off for the newbies-ish and the season four-ish slash early season five feel of the show. Not to mention another nice tribute to Finn. So, um, so that about does it for this podcast. Join us next Sunday when we kick off the first half of our 100th celebration with 100, I guess. That's the official title. Um, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a good night. feel so young You make me feel like spring has sprung Like the way he's speaking His confidence is peaking